Welcome to episode 192 of the Thunder Underground Podcast. Trent and Jason here, and this week we're bringing back every album in a row series, or what do you want to call it? I think that, that works. Series? Is that a good word? Series, yeah. 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 Well, this time we've got our friend Brandon Dingler, the new, the newer, I yes. say new, he's not new anymore, but the vocalist of the band Driver, and we're covering Stone Temple Pilots. Looking forward to getting to this here in just a, a little bit, but we've got some stuff to talk about first. Yes, we do. We do. But of course, before we talk about that, we need to let you know we're sponsored by DEB Concerts. And happily sponsored. Yeah. One of the things we're going to talk about here in a minute is a DEB concert that happened just recently. Of course. But before we talk about that, let's talk about what's coming up. DEB is based in Tulsa. They do a lot of shows here in the Tulsa area. And we're happy to attend them because they focus on the genres of hard rock and metal from the heyday of the 80s and 90s that we grew up on. That's right. Or the term you like to use, cut our teeth on. Exactly. Well, this Friday, just a couple of days, Tom Kiefer from Cinderella will be at the Ideal Ballroom. Tom Kiefer has a solo band that's excellent, and they play stuff from a solo album and, of course, tons of Cinderella. That show will feature Sweatin' Bullets and Evil Twin opening that show up. And then next month, on November 3rd, Kicks is going to be at the Ideal Ballroom. Hell yes. Really looking forward to this. Kicks is beyond amazing live. Yes, definitely. I don't say that lightly. Beyond amazing. I mean, it, no, it definitely is. <laughs> it's no bullshit. Yeah. Sweatin' Bullets is also opening that, along with Rocket Science. And then going into December on the 8th, we've got L.A. Guns returning, and this time Junkyard will be there as well. That's a silver tuna, Marv. <laughs> That's right. Junkyard, right yeah, there. It is. Selling you. Finally going to see Junkyard live. Can't wait. Yep. That show will feature Grind opening up. Can't wait. So, great stuff. And then now, just the other day, mm-hmm. they announced another show. Oh, did they? Yeah. This is, um, remember we used to, you used to bug Jake whenever he ran downtown lounge mm-hmm. as a joke. Why don't you book Saxon? But yeah. then, you know, why didn't they, why doesn't the Canes or any, well, the Canes doesn't book many rock bands anyway, but exactly. Saxon did come to Tulsa as part of the Judas Priest package, but yes. we didn't really think we would get him here outside of that on their own. Yeah. Like we got lucky they came to Oklahoma City. A few years ago, but here they are, February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, you and your fucking sweetheart can see Biff Byford and Saxon. That's right, at the IDL Ballroom. That's right. I mean, when I when I saw this, my dick had a heart palpitation. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, it did. I mean... I believe that. I, holy fuck. One of my favorite bands ever at the IDL Ballroom. It's just fucking... I, I can't... I, I can't fathom what it's going to look like. <laughs> I mean, it's you can't just, picture it. I mean, it, it, it's just nuts. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be so intimate. That's like, that is a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, I can't, you know, it's different from when we saw him in Oklahoma City with Fozzie at that club. I just think this will be just hotter. You know, it, 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 there'll be a vibe. Yeah, because of the space it's in, the room it's in. The space it's in. It's going to be insanity. I cannot fucking wait. 
Yeah. And, and I can't believe it's fucking happening. It's just the fucking greatest thing in the world. I know. <laughs> and like you said, the Ideal Barn is a great place. And we love the fact that all these shows are there. Oh, definitely. Tom Green has an amazing establishment. And all these shows are all hosted by Eddie Trunk. Mm-hmm. Which is very cool as well. So get out there. And if you're in the this area of the country, check these out. You won't regret it. Yeah. Yeah, don't miss it. Well, speaking of... Like I said, DB concerts last Friday. You made it out to the Sebastian Bach Monty Pittman show. I sure did. So, I did. So I was out of town, so I didn't get to see it. Yeah. So how was all that? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was a, that was such a strong bill. Um, I really think that uh, Sebastian Bach had a had a good, you know, a good, you know, mind, ear, whatever you want to call it for for a package. Um, you know, one bad son kicked the show off. Um, if you like, sh- they're from Saskatchewan, uh, Canada. If you like, hey, can I catch you off real quick? Yeah. Do you think they're friends with Coulter Wall? See, I wondered that when they said that. Okay. Just, I knew, so. you know, he had a he had a he had a Canada patch on his jacket, you know. But at, I didn't think about it till the end when they said they're from Saskatoon, okay. Saskatchewan, and I was like, I wonder if they know Coulter Wall. And then I thought, probably fucking not. <laughs> Those two artists couldn't be any more different. I mean, any more different. But I just thought that was cool. Yeah. It's funny you mention that because I thought that, oh, Coulter Wall. <laughs> um, and if any of you guys don't know who Coulter Wall is, yes, I'm going into it. <laughs> He's a country guy, a real country guy, by the way. Not a fuckhead bro country guy. He's like 21 or something. He's 21, and he sounds like he's about 80. Yeah. Um, and he's like a fucking superb songwriter. So if you're into that, you know, you know, maybe a... It, it's a voice that would make Waylon Jennings' dick have a heart palpitation. Exactly. You're goddamn right. And just, you know, I, it might not be our listeners' usual fare, but, you know, when you're shaking off a hangover on Sunday morning, you got your coffee at the kitchen table... Maybe fuck maybe, it. Don't wait till maybe Sunday. dial it up. As soon as this ends, pull up Codeine Dream and just yeah, feel it. And then you're you'll thank us. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, one bad son. That's right. Um, if you like stuff like you know the New Roses or Dead Daisies, that kind of oh, thing, shit. you'll love One yeah. Bad Son. This is totally in that vein. Um, they did a cover of uh, Talking Heads' Psycho Killer that was really right. fucking cool. Um, and, and that's just, that kind of, you know, it's, you know, it's hard rock and it's, and it's got that spirit of the seventies and eighties, but it's kind of updated for today. Okay. I think. And, um, you know, they were tight as a drum. Kudos to the guitar player. He broke his leg. He did the fucking, he did the show in a chair. Shit. You know, and he still fucking was headbanging and shit. So, I mean, um, yeah, One Bad Son. Check these guys out. They're great. Right on. Next up was Monty Pittman, who, like we've been talking about, he's Madonna's guitar player. He's been in ministry. He's been in prong. He's got two solo records out that came out at the same time, one acoustic, one electric. And he's had like four or five before that? Those. Yeah, yeah, he has, yeah. And he had, uh, he had John Deddy on drums, you know, who we all know yeah. is filled in with Anthrax, Testament, Slayer. Uh, he's played with Iced Earth. Basically every big four band except Metallica. Yeah, pretty much. But Iced fucking, Earth is a good substitute yes. for Metallica in my Yeah, opinion. exactly. Yeah. Um, fucking, uh, 
uh, Eli Santana from Huntress and Holy Grail on bass guitar. Wow. And uh, he he had a, a buddy of his on rhythm guitar. Said he it was he said it was a, a friend of his he'd known since he was a kid. And I mean, I'm telling you, this stuff was great. It was just chunky, thrashy, heavy fucking metal. Great vocals. Monty Pittman can sing like a motherfucker too. Um, the instrumental breaks were insane. Monty Pittman is just a guitar player of guitar players. It was so fucking cool to see. Um, it just, it, it was so good and so electric and so riffy. It just went by like that, you know, and you just wished it was, you wish you could hit her like 10 more, Yeah. you know? So, I mean, Monty Pittman, that was fucking awesome. Ever said John Daddy got a drum solo? Yeah, at the thing. end, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, when you're like ending a song, you know, they kind of, they kind of all stood back and let him go for a few minutes, and okay. that guy is just fucking pummeling an insane drummer. It was nuts. So you know, and 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 you know, when he introduced, when he introduced the band, he said all the bands that all these guys were in. I thought it was really cool that when he talked about Eli Santana was in Huntress, that got a really big applause. So that's cool, you know. <clears throat> um, you know, with all the Jill Janis stuff recently. So I mean, that that was just a, a great fucking set. Um, I'm so glad I got to see that. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Bach comes up next. You know me. I'm not gonna fucking make any. I'm not gonna bullshit. Okay. I'm not gonna bullshit. <laughs> I I I. Caught about five songs and split. I'm not a big Sebastian Bach guy. I've told you this. I, I've said this on the podcast. I, I love Skid Row, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm not a Sebastian Bach guy. I, you know, hey, I don't. I'm, I'm not trying to give it a bad review because it sounded great. Sebastian sounded awesome. They played Breaking Down, which I thought was. Yeah. Super fucking rad. When you said that at first, I thought you were joking. No, I wasn't. It was fucking great. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. That's from Subhuman Race, people. Which, check that's it right. out if you never which did. Which is a great fucking record. But see, that's the thing, you know? I mean, I know you can't not like Skid Row. Yeah. When when you look at... I mean, I was super bummed just because I've always loved that band and that guy. I mean, those their first two albums mm-hmm. are as strong of first two albums as... You're ever going to find. Yeah, with just like, you know, Pantera or Metallica or... Yeah. Led Zeppelin or Alice in Chains or whoever. You yeah. Know? Well, see, here, here's my problem. And it's my problem. Is, and you know, you've known this about me since we were kids. If somebody in the band is a dick, I don't like that band. <laughs> That's right. And I have to get, and, and I've never been able to get over that. But, you know, I'm sure that most people in bands are fucking dicks. <laughs> or that most people that we don't know in our favorite bands are dicks. Is they what just I'm don't to say. make it as known as they some don't make guys it do. as known. So it's like, why should I give a fuck as long as I like the music? I'm never going to meet this person or, you know, hang out and play Yahtzee with them. What do I give a shit? You don't know what's going to happen at Thunder Undergone <laughs> Fest 18. You could be playing Yahtzee with Sebastian Bach live on YouTube. Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I, I would welcome that still. <laughs> So, you know, that's why I never glommed onto Guns N' Roses like you did, even though they're fucking genius. So, and that's my fucking hang up. Fuck me, whatever. Well, see, my my thing with Bach, I always let it as a pass because, sure, the guy, you know, would say some stupid stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I let Axl Rose have a pass, too, but that's where yeah. most people wouldn't. But the thing with Bach is he never did any of that shit when it came to the live show, you know? Yeah. It's a, if there's a Skid Roast show or a Sebastian Bach show... 
Sebastian Bach's there and fucking plays a show and sounds great. You're right. You know, Axel, you know, of course, had that long period in the 90s and even early 2000s where, you know, the show might not start for two hours or whatever, which is bullshit, but Yeah, true. So, see, what do I know? I'm a dumb dick. I don't know. (laughs) But I, I I will say, you know, because it's funny, I went to the show... And I heard more than one person in passing or just, you know, talking about the show, the whole it's not my job thing came up more than once. <laughs> and one, no one's going to get that except for local yeah, people anyway. And one, okay, that's old news, let it go, fuck it. Yeah, I mean, it, it and was two, funny he was first. fucking right. I yeah. will fucking back him on that. Absolutely. He was fucking right. It wasn't his fault that the bird ran into the transformer and set the whole show back. It wasn't his fault that no one knew how to fucking run the soundboard and turn his fucking mic off when they shouldn't have. Right. Um, so y- y- there shouldn't be anybody flipping him off, telling him we can't hear you. It's not his fucking problem. That's right. So, anyways, I'll just wrap that up. That was my Sebastian Bach experience. When he opened with Slave to the Grind, right? Yes, he did. That's yeah. what he always does, yes. I believe. Yes. Just fantastic. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, what what's the and see? I'm not as inured in the deep cuts of the first album as you are. What's the? Is it or fuck? Uh, here I am. Is that? Yeah. Is that just what that's called? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know. I heard that. Okay. They played that for sure. So. Like he, well, obviously has said is ninety percent those first two albums. Yeah. I mean, oh, he'll yeah, play yeah. all that stuff. Like yeah. here I am, making a mess. Sweet little sister. Rattlesnake Shake. Yeah. Or not. Piece then, of Me or some shit. Yeah, Piece of Me. And then, uh, I mean, there's not as many, I guess, deep cuts off Slave to the Grind that he'll play outside of... I know he plays The Threat a lot of times. Mm-hmm. He played that at Rocklahoma. I just wish yep. he'd play, like, you know, Quicksand Jesus and Wasted Time. Yeah. Yeah. But, Frozen. Whatever. Yeah. Into another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, one day we'll hear it when Skid Row finally reunites. I I still think it's going to happen. Yeah, I assume it will. You know, so. Rachel Bowen will finally just be like, ah, fuck it. Let's just get it over with. Let's just get it over with and, (laughs) you know, make our two million bucks and go home. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I was bummed I didn't get to see that, but I'm looking for the fact that I get to see Kicks and Junkyard and Saxon all coming up at the ideal. And Tom Kiefer. Yeah, and of course, Tom Kiefer. Of course. Yeah. So, I did that. What did you do? Well, during that time, I was in California at Cal Jam. Nice. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I did not see Deep Purple anywhere, so it was kind of a let down Cal Jam for me. (laughs) But I guess this is 2018 and not 1974, so maybe that's why. But which, by the way, that's still one of the greatest live things I've ever watched in my life. Yeah, I know. People have never watched that Deep Purple from Cal Jam. It's like fucking Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale and exactly. you know that whole era of the band is amazing. But yeah, I worked at Cal Jam, so I didn't see a ton of it. Yeah, because actually, when I was working, was thirteen, fourteen hour overnight shifts, mm-hmm. and so during the day, I could have seen some of these bands. But I was like, I don't want to. You're so fucking tired. <laughs> yeah, I get but that. I did get the opportunity to hear Foo Fighters sound check. Yeah, and I also heard the sound check. From the band Thunder Pussy, which I've always meant to look into just because it's kind of intriguing, that name. But I was always kind of annoyed as well that I'm like, yep. look, Alabama Thunder Pussy has been around for fucking yep. 20-some years. They, they, and now this band just comes, comes in here out of nowhere and we're supposed yeah. to give a shit because just, you it, stole someone's name. Just because Alabama, 
Alabama Thunder pussy isn't around anymore doesn't mean you can just <laughs> yeah. take part of the name. Yeah. You know, it's like if I, you know, it's like if Metallica broke up and I just started a band called Licka. I just don't <laughs> think that's cool. Right. So, yeah, no, uh-uh. But I will say I heard it and this woman sounded pretty amazing. Okay. The cool. sound checked I heard, but I saw the end of Billy Idol set, the last three songs. Nice. Which don't really need to get into because we just talked about that on the last episode. Yeah. Or two episodes ago when I saw him here in Tulsa. Of course, that was badass. He headlined the Friday night. And then Saturday, Foo Fighters, of course, headlined. The show also featured Iggy Pop, which I heard some of from a distance, which was really cool. I know Thrasher got over there and got to see some of it. Mm. And uh, then uh, Tenacious D played Garbage, Greta Van Fleet, a few other bands. There was, I think, probably 10, 15. And uh, then I got it, made sure I was over there to hear some of the Foo Fighters. I heard the first couple songs run. They opened with Run and Skies in the Neighborhood. Nice. Then I got back over there a little bit later when they played The Pretender and Best of Me. Okay. Pretender had a huge, long middle jam part, which was really cool. And then I wasn't over there during the the Nirvana reunion. Oh, okay. But the place that I was at, I could hear it perfectly. So I did get oh, to hear it live. Really? I just didn't see it. So at first, I didn't know... I didn't know who was singing until later on. Yeah. And I don't know if you even looked up. Did you see the set list of the songs they played? Yeah, and I can't. Yeah, well, they played three songs with the singer. From Deer Tick. Deer Tick, singer yeah. slash guitarist. Yeah. And they played Serve the Servants, Scentless Apprentice, and In Bloom with him. Yes. And then Joan Jett came out and they played Breed. Smells so like, like Teen Spirit. And all apologies. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, that's cool. There's six yeah. songs, three from Nevermind, three from In Utero, and then mm-hmm. three of the songs were radio hits, and three of the songs were like album deep cuts. I know? think that's great. And that's, that was a that's great a way great to do it. great balance to do that. Because yeah. they could have easily played, you know, Lithium or Something in the Way or yeah. um, Come As You Are, all this other shit that was huge mm-hmm. hits, you know, but they decided to, you know, breathe. That's it. I haven't got this. I can kind of hear it, but I really want to go find a YouTube video of that. Yeah. Because I went back and watched a couple of them uh, late last night after I was home. Okay. Just to, like, see it visually. Yeah. And, I mean, we've mentioned both of us before. We actually mentioned it here in a bit in the Stone Tail Pilots thing. You know, me, you, and Brandon all said they were mm-hmm. least favorite band of that whole genre of bands, you know? But I still, I don't dislike them. And yeah, And, of course, way. we love... Dave Grohl and his attitude, and obviously yes. that expanded even more once Nirvana was done. And 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 when once you've had so many years go by and you've matured and you've thought about things in different ways yeah. and whatever, uh, I don't need to. I don't need to be their biggest fan to hold them in a very high regard, right? You know, yeah. Because I mean, during which, that which I do during that period of time, there was barely anyone any bigger than that. Yeah. Outside of maybe, you know, Metallica or something. Oh, exactly. And yeah, Guns definitely. N' Roses, maybe. And I even, I'm not going to lie, like, I haven't listened to, outside of when I'd hear it on Sirius or something random, mm-hmm. I haven't, like, willingly just decided to listen to Nirvana in years and years until today. That's like, cool. after I've cool. been thinking about it since that, yeah. and I listened to Nevermind today for the first time, who knows when, and I'm like, I had the album back then, yeah, and... 
I just forgot. I'm like, all these songs are good except for Come As You Are. I fucking like it, you know. <laughs> and yeah, I don't I, know that I ever heard in utero in its entirety, but <laughs> I, I thought Heart Shaped Box is just brilliant song i love yeah. that song i was so back then i was so anti-nirvana because they killed my they killed my metal blah, blah, blah. Right. you know um that's just how ignorant i was to all that and then when i heard heart shit box it's like fuck i love this song and i don't want to but see the thing is fuck. you were that way with them but you still accepted Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. i know what the fuck is wrong with me <laughs> i yeah i i can't i'm not gonna say all that shit was right what i was thinking it was just you know, where my brain was when I was, you know, 19 or what the fuck ever it was, yeah. 18. But, no, I mean, this. so this is really cool to be able to hear this, I think, and it's yeah. cool that it happened. It's the first time that it's happened at a, you know, it happened at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with yes. the same two people filling in. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time it happened, like, at an event where mm -hmm. the public could be there. And I'm pretty sure it won't be the last time now that it's happened. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, what, it was him and Pat Smear already there, so all I had to show up was Nova Selleck and yeah. whoever they want to sing. And yeah. the possibilities, if they did this again, are endless. Totally. And, of course, everybody started mentioning Sean Morgan from Caesar, mm -hmm. which, as much as neither one of us really care about Caesar, obviously it would work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, fuck, Wes Scanlon would work if he could show up to the venue. Yeah. Well, you know, he's been sober for yeah. a while, and supposedly he's doing the damn thing. So. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. he would show up for that, because that's the kind of shit, you know, you probably dream of. But, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing I don't I, know that Nirvana would go that Seether puddle of mud route. I, I think, don't think, because I think it would piss off too many, like, yeah, purists. Pure, alternative purists. I think they're going to keep it kind of, you know, how they've been doing it. Yeah, but, because Joan Jett, you know, I even saw people bitching about that, and I, I thought it was, because, I mean... Everybody that knows anything knew Cobain was into, like, punk and shit mm -hmm. and yeah. championed a lot of, like, female singers. And I'm like, who's bigger than that, you know, yeah, as yeah. far as someone it, it, taking yeah. that role, you know? And people shouldn't bitch at all anyways. Who cares? They can do whatever the fuck they want. They're, yeah. they're, they're the, they're, they're, they are, excuse me, the surviving members of Nirvana. Yeah. They can do whatever the fuck they want. And the cool thing is when you watch the videos and see Dave Grohl playing drums, he still looks exactly like Dead Girl Playing yeah. Jams did 26 years exactly, ago. Exactly, you know? yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, that's, that's good, kind of, that's yeah. my experience as far as hearing the music. You I know? see, I see. First well, time I, I've been to San Bernardino. Oh, yeah. Pretty beautiful. I, I, I'm, gl I'm glad you got to go. I'm glad you're working these kind of things that you're doing yeah. lately. It, it's, it's, it, it's good to get kind of an inside track on these things. That's yeah. cool. Cool to hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One other thing I wanted to point out is I did get to, there's a comedy tent where they, like Jamie Kennedy and Harlan Williams, a few other people. I know that girl from Santa Live, you mentioned, like, out there doing just, you know, stand up in this tent, like outside the venue. Which and, one from Santa Live? I don't remember. I remember when I showed you the list or whatever you said, you knew who it was. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. But I got back over there pretty late. I think the first or second, first night. Yeah. And after all the comedy, there was a guy in there interviewing. I don't know if he was a radio host or some writer or something, but he was interviewing the guitarist from the Pixies. Mm -hmm. And I got to hear a lot of that. And it was That's you cool. know, pretty interesting. And then just the stuff they talked about. But then the funny part was Jamie Kennedy was drunk in the crowd heckling him. 
to tell him to show his dick. <laughs> and I don't know if he knew. I guess they knew each other because he was kind of going along with it. They weren't like, get this guy out of here or whatever. But that's that's nice. Yeah, random nice. note is the guy I worked with had to help get Jamie Kennedy out of the venue later because he was that drunk. That's but. awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. So there you go. That's your Cal Jam experience. I like it. Yeah. Nice. Speaking of Sean Morgan, you saw Seether, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. All right, next subject? No, I mean, I'll oh, okay. talk, you know. Um, uh, me and my girlfriend went to the fair Thursday night. Um, and we were going to meet, you know, a lot of her family out there. And uh, Seether happened to be playing. Everybody that listens knows I am not a Seether person. In fact, they're one of the bands you mention when you're trying to talk shit about someone else. Right? Yes, pretty much. <laughs> and they are just totally not my thing. But <clears throat> my woman is amazing, and if she wants to go see Seether, we'll go see Seether. I have no... Right. I'm not ashamed of that. That doesn't bother me. I do it gladly, um, you know, because... Uh, my girlfriend is a legit human, unlike, you know, others in the past that I've been involved with that we won't go into. <laughs> so, anyways, you know, I just, we, and we stuck around for probably 45 minutes or so. It was, eh, Cedar, whatever, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You got to I, see John Humphreys. I just got to see John Humphreys and the Nixons, and it just made me want to listen to the Nixons. So, we did on the way home. <laughs> and I've been on a bit, pretty big Nixons kick since then. That's the best and, review ever. Yes, and so now I'm like, fuck, I wish I would have saw him. But that was the day we were interviewing Anvil. Oh, that's right. And then yeah. and then the next time they play Oklahoma City is in between Hatebreed and Ghost. Right. They're playing the 25th. They had played October. again in Oklahoma City like late last year. Yeah, yeah. And and For then or or they're com- they're coming to Tulsa. With the Smashing Pumpkins in December, but That's right. do, do I want to go see Smashing Pumpkins? Well, if you could get a ticket for free, you might go, right? Well, because then you could leave. <laughs> uh oh, you're the you're the guru on that one. Get us a podcast with them with John Humphrey. There you go. Yeah, or Zach <laughs> Malloy. Yeah, do it. Do or it. Billy Corgan. Uh, no. We'll talk about wrestling. Yeah, because I wouldn't know what to. I wouldn't know what to talk about with. Billy Corey. You can figure something out. I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> okay, if, then. Enough of that. So, yeah, that's that. Whatever. A week a week and a half ago, Louder Than Life was supposed to happen. Oh, shit. Forgot about all this. Yeah. You were going. It got canceled due yes. to storms, like mass flooding. Mm-hmm. So, instead, you took a road trip to see other bands. Yeah, we uh, said fuck it and went to Denver to see Greta Van Fleet. Right at the Fillmore, and that was that was quite a show. Uh, Dorothy opened, and I know a lot of people are digging her. I've heard that name for a while, and she's really good. She was a lot more organic and earthy, and you know, than I thought. I thought it was a little bit more radio rockish. Yeah, I think just maybe because like the bills she's been on. Right, but uh, it was it was a lot more in line with Greta Van Fleet or you know whatever. You know, you could totally see her with like Rival Sons or. Uh, you know, Black Crows or whatever. Oh, Black Crows are back together? No, I'm just saying, oh. like, in, in that kind of... I know what you're saying. Oh, man, you're killing me. 
But it was one of those shows where it's like, I wish, it's like, I wish I could tell you every facet of this show and, and every song and everything I saw, but it was one of those shows that was so annoyingly sold out. <laughs> so you put it, was it annoyingly sold out? I yeah. That's what you said. Yeah. And that's totally what it was. It was so fucking packed. There was people fucking everywhere. You know, we found one place that was kind of cool to stand that was kind of close, but it was right by a, a, a thing of steps to go up. So we got kicked out of that real quick. And I mean, the only place to stand and we got there, we, we even got there early before the opening act. The only place to really stand was like in the back. So it was just, you know, kind of silhouettes. But I mean, I know that, you know, Greta Van Fleet, they sounded amazing. You know, they, they played every song that they've released. Um, you look like you want to say something. So I'm going to go ahead and let you say that. Well, I didn't want to like cut you off, but no, because I looked up. I mean, I know, I think the next day, knowing you'd win, I just looked up their set list mm-hmm. and I understand they only have what those two EPs out. Yeah. And then a couple other singles that album's not out yet. Right. I'm like, so sure, there's not a lot of material, but they only played what ten or eleven songs as, yeah, a, as they, a headliner. Yeah, they play. That's, that's what. I, that's what. That's the thing. I thought the only thing I thought was odd is like, wow, they played an hour, hour and five minutes because there's a couple yeah. songs where they went off and did like long jams. Because I could think so. That's it really was, was like it was like an hour and five minutes, hour and ten minutes maybe. That to me is annoying as fuck. And I thought that was odd. I thought that was really odd. I mean, you don't have to play. <clears throat> Ramble on or in the evening, you know, because that's what we're expecting. You could fucking play, you know, like, you know, Toys in the Attic. Yeah. Or just yeah. just some random, like, Howlin' Wolf cover or just something, yeah. like, just throw in a couple covers at least to extend this yeah, thing to exactly. at least an hour or 20 or something. You know? Yeah, exactly. I thought that was, I mean, we were, we were literally, we were back to our room on the balcony having a drink by 11. <laughs> so, if that tells you anything. Yeah. I just thought, you know, it's funny. I'm glad you brought that up because I just was like, wow, you know, that's, they, they could have, I don't know. Huh. Wow. It's like when we saw the Donna's way back in the canes, I was so pissed. Yeah. Even though I was still in love, but I was just well, like yeah. so annoyed. I'm like, you just played like fucking an hour and one minute. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, if it was, that was like 57 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, so, um, but yeah, like, uh, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm bad with their song titles. But I think it's the, the song Flower Power that has the long organ thing at the end. Is that Flower Power? I can't remember. I think it's that one, and that was cool. That long, drawn-out where the bass player just plays that organ okay. forever, and that was fucking rad. And the way they had the lights, they had a really cool light show and stuff. But yeah, uh, and and I would hope and I would think the 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 more they get into this, and you know, they have they have... You know, they're going to have longer sets. Oh, yeah. They I need think, to anyways. I know that Maybe much. they just don't want to play covers or something, and it's like yeah, they're just going with the material well, they have. Well, it's, it's like, here's the thing is, I heard a couple songs I didn't know, and I know they have that album that's about to come out. Yeah. So they've got these two EPs, and they've got this album. Surely they can play... Something off it. Something. Because they've, what, released two even songs from it, I think? Three now. The three one now. I haven't even heard. Okay. So, I don't know. But, I, you know, I think that'll come with time. Yeah. So, but I was pleased. You know, I was entertained. It was a great show. 
You know, it's in here in Colorado, so it's weird to go out to smoke hole and everybody's just smoking weed, you know? <laughs> right. While like it's a I cigarette. Think about you that, know? Yeah. yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's cool. <laughs> so that was my Denver Greta Van Fleet experience. Right on. Well, is it time to get into this? I think so. Subject to hand. I think so. Well, real quick, we would talk about this more coming up when there's more news, but Megadeth started releasing band names. Oh, yeah, for the Mega Cruise. Yeah, so far we've got Testament, Anthrax, Armored Saint, John 5, Corrosion and Conformity, Metal Church, Metalachi, and Doro. And, and Bisto Blanco. And Devil Driver. Oh, and Devil Driver. Yep. I mean, when you say COC, Antax, Testament, Megadeth, that's enough to like make me and move then, a little ways across the country. Yeah, but then you throw in all this other yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. I mean, that's yeah. that's a lineup of lineups. And they said they're still announcing more. Yeah, it's a damn shame I won't see it. <laughs> you never know. You might convince yourself. This is... This is like the motorboat, you know, where know, yeah, you'd see the lineup and you're like, there's yeah. 15 bands on it and you like legitimately love 14 of them. And yeah. the 15th <laughs> yeah. one, you're like, yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's so, crazy. and that's not common when you have a, a, a big lineup of bands, you know? I know. I know. So. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Yeah. There, there might be more. But speaking of music, you can see soon, October 19th and 20th, the venue shrine in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We've said it before, we'll say it again. Thunder Underground Fest 2018. What do we got? Zen Hipster. They were just on this podcast last episode. I didn't say welcome back at the beginning of this thing. Anyway. Welcome back. Yeah, you weren't on the podcast last Oh, night. well, you know, it was okay. Yeah. I, 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 I was, I needed a break. I needed <laughs> some personal time. Right. Um, but yeah, we, yeah, we got Zen Hipster, whoever they are, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we got Severmind, Driver, uh, fucking Fist of Rage, Wooden Bone, uh, fucking the Normandies, Murderous yeah. Mary, uh, Custom Black, Locust Grove. I well, mean, uh, looking forward to those two big time. Oh yeah, fucking Less Than Human. Yes. Uh, Jesus Christ, just off the top of my head. So much more. Sign of Lies from Parts Unknown. Yeah. Um, CJ and Dell from Grind playing acoustic, Sprout the Anti-Hero yeah, right. playing acoustic. Yep. And like you said, there's Steve yeah. Ray is hosting the, the thing. That's right. Both nights. The second night is the Great Pumpkin. Yes. And just a couple episodes ago, we talked about all that. Exactly. The, you know, go to our Facebook page. Machine in the Mountain. Machine in the Mountain's going to be there. Fucking A. The, the fucking events on there hit going. You're going. You're going to love it. I mean... It's going to be great. Yeah. So, yeah, like we said, 19th and 20th, and you'll hear us talk about this again next week. Of course. But you mentioned Driver, and Brandon, the vocalist from Driver, is on this podcast as a guest slash, not really a guest this time, just more mm-hmm. of a guest host, if you would say. That's most. right. Because the three of us are just talking about Stone Temple Pots. So yes. if you haven't listened to this before, what we do on the Every Album in a Row thing is we listen to a band's entire discography in order, whether it be, what was that, you know, seven albums, seven and a half albums yeah. from Stone of Pots, you know, up to we did Megadeth, that was like 16 albums, I think. 
So you just start at the beginning, listen to it straight through, and then come together and just talk about how, you know, the band progressed or what you liked, what you didn't like. Yes. That whole kind of thing. Because most people, like Brandon even mentioned in the thing, most people don't ever do that, you know? Yeah, true. And we kicked this off way back with Metallica like a year and a half ago now. We've also done it with Megadeth, Ozzy, Van Halen, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Pantera. We recently did Alice in Chains. And we did this thing with Kiss. Yeah. As well with CJ from Grind. That's right. And CJ was actually the first person we had on as a guest to do it with us. Yeah. And then Brandon, I believe, had saw you at some concert and mentioned that, Yes. Hey, I'd love to come on and do this as well. And we we talked about it when we did it with CJ that it's really cool to have another perspective, especially Definitely. when someone's a huge fan of this, exactly. that said band, you know? Yeah. So it really adds to the element of, you know, just bringing in whether it be more knowledge or just another opinion or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So when Brandon mentioned Stone of Pots, you know, we both... You know, jumped on that because we're both fans. Yes. And I thought it was a good idea, too, because it's a band that, as we talked about here in a bit, that I think even Brandon said the same thing. You know, you kind of let let it slip for a while. And I mean, as far as paying attention to him and kind of came back around in recent times. That's right. Yeah. So it, was, it, it wasn't like Megadeth or Metallica where it's always been 100% like yes. paying attention <laughs> to what's going on, you know. So it was a little more interesting and. It's also good to get bands from other genres because we kind of stuck to the metal or the classic rock thing like Van Halen. Yeah, true. So and, it was good to get some, yeah, some kind of, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for all you, you know, all you out there, guys in bands, whatever, the next few we're going to do is uh, Bay City Rollers, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, Fuck, yes. uh, Kenny Chesney. So if you guys want to get on that train uh, and, and break those down with us. Yeah, hit us, us up. Let us know. Yeah, hit us up. Yeah, if you're a massive Kenny Chesney fan, just don't email underground at gmail.com. Email jasonpaulwood at gmail.com. Jesus Christ. <laughs> let him know about it. Thanks. I try to joke around. This is what you do to me, Trent. <laughs> right. But no, let's just get into this. Yeah, Definitely. This is Stone Temple Pilots every album in a row featuring Brandon from Driver. Listen to 93 songs. Okay. Over seven albums. You've got the stats. I yeah. like it. <laughs> seven albums, one EP, and then five non-album singles. And then another thing I found out when I was coming up with those numbers is that every album they released with Wyland on vocals went into the top ten of the Billboard charts. Really? The other two did not. Even the one with Chester. Wow. But I guess just kicking this thing off, like, before we get into core, do you remember the first time you heard them? Is it one of those bands that you can remember? Yes. I mean, for me, um, it was, for me, it was just hearing them and seeing them the first time, it was a sex type thing with Headbangers Ball. And that, 
<clears throat> that gets into that whole era that you and I have talked about before. It's like 92, so you're getting the best of the new grunge stuff coming in, and you're getting the best of the metal, and, you know, you're getting, you know, even some of the, you know, the melodic the hair bands, you know, if you want to call it, you know, that are still doing cool stuff coming in. So that was at that time where there's so much cool stuff across a few different genres. And so a lot of stuff from that time stick out to me. That was one of them, you know, visually, because it was, you know, they all had long hair except for Wyland. He had his head shaved. So back then that was like a, you know, something that caught my eye. Um, and they were heavy, but there, there's something dissonant about that song, sex type thing. And I just, you know, I thought it was a pretty rad song. Definitely a good first song to hear from a band. So yeah, that was, that was my first taste of STP. Yeah. I think Dead Blooded was the first song that I, I ever, I encountered on them because they had a big push on it. But then I immediately, I think, uh, one of those, part of those record clubs, <laughs> oh, yeah. BMG or Columbia House oh, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I ran into Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, um, Tool, and about three other bands all at the same time uh, in a tw- in a, just like one of those big twelve disc buys, and they were all my penny, you know, my one cent discs, yes. if you will. <laughs> oh so, yeah. So yeah, I was able to get a bunch of them at the same time, and the song that caught me right just like that was Wicked Garden. I just. Oh, that song was was the tits to be right at the time. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Dead Blood got, brought me to them, and then yeah, and then Wicked Garden sold me on. And it, I think it's really the the heaviness with the pop influences is what what did it for me. Because like at the time for me, I didn't like country music per se, but I still liked like Garth Brooks to pop country at the time. Mm-hmm. And but then I'd swing all the way over to you know Twisted Sister, and but they were like a happy medium because they were using pop uh, pop hooks and pop melodies in heavy music. And I just, it's something resonated there. And it's just instant, instant brain candy. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Trent? That was sex type thing. And I actually remember the first time I ever heard it. For some reason, that just has always stuck with me. Like they weren't getting played on the radio in Tulsa yet. Mm-hmm. But I was in Oklahoma City with my family on a trip and we were in my parents' old Econoline van. Remember that blue van? I remember. Yeah. Had a TV in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. was crazy. That's our class. I think we, we were in Oklahoma City, so we must have been coming or going from my grandma's house. And we stopped at a gas station, and it was on the cat. And the song started. And I just sat there and waited for it to end while everybody else is in there getting mm. snacks or whatever. And I just couldn't, you know, it was like, because I, I, like he said, I loved all the hair band stuff and loved Megadeth and Metallica and whatever. And I really got into Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and everything at around that time. So hearing this kind of fit right in with that. And Sex Type Thing is still my favorite song of theirs yeah. from that moment on, pretty yeah. much. Well, you know, I think from there we can just kick off into Core, the first record. Yeah. Um, I'll just say, you know, and, and it, I'm kind of just, you know, expounding on what I just said, was there's so many hits and memories with this record and infectious melodies, um, you know, and you're talking about Brandon Pop, you know, it almost didn't seem like a grunge band to me at times. It was just like a heavy rock band or a hard rock band. And you mentioned Wicked Garden. That to me, that's my favorite. That's my favorite fucking STP song of all time. That was just. It was so like, you know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really just <laughs> repeating mm-hmm. what you're saying. It was like so. 
uh, it was heavy, but it was like you know, it was catchy and it was bright and it had all these had all these colors, but it was like cool at the same time and it was heavy. And I think that that for me, that's just like their best moment. And but you know, Naked Sunday was cool, Cracker Man. I mean, and of course, Dead and Bloated. I mean, this is one of those albums. It's the you know the I hate to say. Oh, you know, this is a first album's their their best record, but for me, this is. I mean, this is. It's kind of like they blew their water early in a way. Well, for the most exposure, and that that happens with a lot of bands is where they'll have a backfield of songs uh, from a couple of years before they get noticed and before they hit. Yeah. And so that first album so will have a lot of cream on it from yeah. from a couple of different years, and then when they're asked to produce albums, then you get. A couple yeah. hits per song, yeah, and that's what people don't realize is this because they have cycle. like three months to write. Hey, you got you yeah. got it's got to be done by March. Then or they're whatever. on timelines right. after that, and they're like, oh, we're just gonna pump out as many as we can. Yeah, you know? exactly. What was what that? Dave Grohl says the formula: you know, pump out thirty songs and take the best ten. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, those first three songs are as good as three songs opening an album ever. Oh yeah, you know, uh, yeah, you definitely. Put that up there with the beginning of Master Puppets or yeah, anything. You, you really know? could. Oh, yeah. And Dead and Bloated, you know, so many people cite that as their favorite. And I mean, that's probably, like you said, what, I mean, those three songs might be my three favorite songs there. There's other ones we'll talk about later, but I mean, I don't, this, another thing to randomly point out is earlier this year, I was hanging out at the lake with your drummer, Josh. Yes. And Dead and Bloated came on and he mentioned that he, he loves thought, that fucking song. He thought it was the greatest snare sound ever in a, <laughs> in a song. I don't know if he's exaggerating, but. There's that. Yeah. There's you know, that. I can't, I can't say one way or the other, but... Oh, when I first joined yeah. Shiner up in Wichita, they were they were mainly a cover band that was just playing clubs and, you know, they're, they're aspiring to play bike rallies and casinos and Dead and Bloated was on on the set list. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I got to, you know, sing STP publicly there and, you know, the Dead and Bloated was on that set list and there was there was one more that we, we had flirted with putting on the set list. I think it was uh, either... Uh, plush or interstate, but um, either way, you know, that song was kind of them bursting out of the gates, and then uh, the way they, the way that I experienced them was, it was like Machine Gun, they, they hit you with this song, and this song, and this song, and then like six months later, then they hit you with Creep, and yeah. it's like, it's like, well, then there's this, you know, and you see a whole other side of the band. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, within, what, a, a year, we used, you start seeing them on VH1 with the acoustic, uh, yeah. you know, the, the the one that thanks you, the acoustic plush comes out all of a sudden. It's yeah. like, you know, they're just, so they were so versatile, and I don't know, a lot of people were able to connect with the band, and I think that's, I think their marketing team did, did a brilliant job bringing them out hard, and, uh, they, well, and <laughs> they had an amazing album. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's a good start. Yeah, definitely a good start. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's pretty much every song on this thing is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, what wet my bed's like the only filler track, and that's not <laughs> even meant to be. Yeah, something more uh, than I it mean, is anyway. But piece of pie is huge. Yeah, you know, to me that song sounds like Alice in Chains, like early Alice in Chains vocally, mm-hmm. totally, and lyrically even. <laughs> um, like sin is a real huge arena rock style song like you kind of mentioned that with other stuff as well but it's in a real big feel to it and yeah it just that's one you just like to turn turn it up and get that you know that big feel to it yeah <laughs> even the guitar solo is even arena rock sound the most oh yeah yeah for sure and in plus uh, you know i mean i don't know what you can i mean i don't even know how to explain that song 
you know, like just the guitar sound and everything. And that, to me, it's just so unique, even though it's so basic at the same time. Yeah, it was definitely something like I'd never heard yeah. at that point. And, uh, you know, that that's when and that's when I knew, okay, yeah, they're a pretty good hard rock band. But that's when I knew, okay, now they're they're entering, they're getting up to a different level. That song hit hard, you know. Yeah. That was, uh, people went nuts for that for that tune. Oh yeah, and that's the thing is after you find it's always fun after you you hear a band and then like you know nine months or a year or a year and a half later somebody comes up to you, did you have you heard of this band and we're like well yeah I've been listening to them for a year and a half <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah and it, it's a lot of that effect but with them it was that effect for a couple of years because mm-hmm. even as newer albums came out more people and more people and more people got exposed to them um, you know it it, it kept having that effect mm-hmm. so and it's like I said just. They had a stellar first album. It's very, very few bands could, could push an album that big that, yeah. and have that many just great songs compiled on it. Because even have like Cracker Man was a non. I don't know if it was a single. It's like, no, they didn't put they didn't put any yeah. marketing behind. It. But it was yeah. just still so. It was and the one he did with the megaphone, yeah. and yeah. everyone loved people, that song. Yeah, people now that even aren't you know diehard people like will reference that song you know and, oh in their live show it was amazing yeah yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That's, yeah like, like you said when he brings out the microphone and, and yeah. he was there on stage and, that's, and he's doing his dance you know as, as only he could do yes <laughs> <laughs> first time I saw Grind they played that song yeah so. oh yeah yeah they did didn't they yeah but like you mentioned after the album was out then they released the acoustic version of Plush which I know they did that on MTV Plugged in 93, but the version that was all over the radio, I think, was from like a radio station or something. Yeah. Because it's not the same. Yeah, something they played in a studio. Yeah. It was, I think it was, uh, I think it was a Headbangers Ball thing. Oh, okay. They they played acoustic on, they were live in their studio for that. I, I could be wrong, I don't know. But anyways, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite acoustic versions of a song ever. Yeah. It's just, because it's so, it's so different than the original. It stands alone as its own song you yeah know? i mean you can listen to them back to back and not really oh yeah feel like you're listening to the same song twice yeah. you know yeah well yeah because they slow they, they slow the tempo they bring it you know they bring it in how, how it's supposed to be acoustically and yeah that's actually really the mark of a great song is if, if it can translate into different mediums mm-hmm. right so i always make this joke it's like when uh that uh lounge singer uh what is it, richard cheese does uh down with the sickness yeah. yeah but it translates and it's still hilarious you know <laughs> but, uh, but yeah it's anything you can always mark a great song by how it translates into different styles but it's still has the makings of a great song it's got the sing-along chorus or it's got everything that sticks in your head it's mm-hmm. all the markers are still there right so yeah it's just it is what it is yeah. well moving into 94 in june of 94 they released purple yes they did and you know right out the gate it, when you hear meat plow it still sounds similar mm-hmm. but his vocal vocally is starting to change mm-hmm you know, the sound wise at least. But the first time I heard Vaseline on the radio, I was literally like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I still don't really care much for that song. I think it's because it was so embedded to me that I was so annoyed when it came out. Yeah. But now it doesn't bother me at all. Well, they played the shit out of it too. Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> well, here's, here's something I'm just going to interject. From this point on, is where th- this band showed me that they have two or three distinct faces because you always had, and they never, 
you know, and, and there's there was a point in the '90s where you know alternative and grunge took over, and a lot of people you know changed and took on those tendencies, and STP did that, but they also never they also kept their heaviness. So you'd have STP had the heavy songs, but they also did this, you know, it's like the, you know, the production on like purple and tiny music sometimes got a little lo-fi and a little, you know, taste of the day. Um, but you know, they would do these, you know, jangly alternative, you know, they'd throw in a a weird chord here and there, jazz chord, you know, and and they kind of really strive like, the rest of their fucking career straddled that. I mean, right. they would have these weird alternate little alternative songs, and then the very next song would just be, you know, a, just a riff meister. Yep. Well, that, that's that's really and honestly, that's where you can see label influence stepping in right off the bat. Oh yeah, yeah, because they're, they're saying, oh well, here's here's Nirvana with this mega giant you know hit, and mm-hmm. you know uh, the rest of the Seattle sound that came out right right around that time, yeah. and uh, basically that, that's you can usually attribute that to their label saying, okay, well we need a couple of these type of songs. Yeah. So they're given that they're giving in and doing that as they need to, and but then they're keeping the stuff that they like to play, and I mean it's really a balancing act. They're they are straddling, but it's it's about it's usually a balancing act in, in those situations. And a lot of times you can see in a, in a, a, a career arc, um, it's kind of like, uh, uh, I like to call it pop music theory, but uh, anything, <laughs> anything that's been recorded and marketed to, to people, you can, you can usually see a, a very similar arc where you've got the raw artist sound of, you know, first album, sometimes first and second album, but then subsequent albums that they, they, they try and you can see them getting led down a certain path mm-hmm. and you can see them getting led a certain direction. And that's not always the band that dictates that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like you said, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to pull from different, they're trying to pull their, their regular heavy, you know, everyone that they sold on that first album, they're trying to keep, keep all of them happy with, with a certain amount of tracks, but then they're trying to attract fans of this, this mm-hmm. and fans of this with other different types of music yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and that's not to say that this album doesn't have its memorable oh, yeah. moments because it right. does. I mean, you know, my notes have got Meat Plow, obviously. Mm. Vaseline, I always liked that song. Sorry, Trent, I still like it. Oh, I don't dislike <laughs> it. I mean, yeah, but, no, but um, Interstate Love Song, I mean, come on. I mean, I know I'm hitting the singles here for a minute, but <laughs> I mean, that song is so catchy and so infectious. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. They've got that side and they've got the head, and they never, to this day, they still do that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know. Well, but, I'm, I'm, I'm into tracks. Uh, obviously, you know, Interstate Love Song, I've heard it a million times. Yeah. And, you know, Vaseline, I've heard just as many. And, you know, they still have replay value. Yeah. But, yeah. and the funniest part is going back through this, you, you listen to them again and, you know, you hadn't heard them maybe in a couple of years because, you know, you had heard them a thousand times. So you put them in that back burner, but then you hear them again and then you hear something you hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, well, what's that guitar riff? I don't remember that being there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But then uh, the two tracks, two more tracks that stood out to me on that album, besides obviously the singles, and uh, was uh, uh, Big Empty and uh, Pretty Penny. Yeah. So I've always uh, had a soft spot for Pretty Penny for some reason. It's yeah, just, that, that was a great it's, song. It's one of those songs that hit me at the right time and, and I was able to relate to, you know, with something that had happened in life. Mm. Yeah, just, it's, that's what, that's what good music does. You can yeah. relate to it and remember certain times of your life because of it. Right. Yeah. Unglued and Army Ants were mm-hmm. were all my notes. I, I thought those were great songs. Unglued and Lounge Flyer, my two favorite songs on yeah. the album. Lounge Flyer, right and on. then 
Kitchenware and Candy Bars is a song most people don't. You know, ever bring up, and that's a great song. Yeah, it is. Kind of forget about. I'll give you that one. Yeah, for sure. There at the end of the album, you know. When I'm listening to the album, there were certain certain skip tracks. Kitchenware was always a skip track for me, but then after about five years, it 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 started becoming a regular play track. Yeah. So yeah, it was one of those things. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how that works because there's you know certain tracks where you're like, oh, skip, skip, skip. You know, when you're listening for certain things in the music, but then later on, you know, you're listening to older albums. Go back and listen to older albums that you hadn't listened to in ten years, and tracks that used to be skip tracks now. Chances are they won't be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as your musical tastes you know develop and change yeah. and stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of something we've noticed doing this thing, you know, because we've oh, yeah. done this probably what the eighth or tenth yeah. one we've done, and yeah. there's some bands you love, like you know Ozzy or Megadeth, we mm-hmm. did this with, and we get deep in there, and I'm like, oh shit, I used to just skip over this song. It's <laughs> amazing. You know? I used to fly by this one. <laughs> yeah. But you uh, mentioned Big Empty, and that I'm pretty sure that was actually released before. The album came out on the Crow soundtrack, right? It was, was on the, the Crow soundtrack. Yeah, it was on the soundtrack. And that's, Son of a bitch, I forgot. You know, to me, that, that yeah. song sounds like it could have easily went on core. Yeah, it's it the only song or, that fits on core that, because yeah. of his vocal style. The other songs, like Meat Plow and Unglued or whatever, that are, you know, a little heavier, still don't have that core feel to them. But, yeah. That's one thing I'll say that, that you know, throughout the arc of the of the music that we listen to is. They were never able to replicate the core sound. They were able to take elements of it and, and, and put them into other songs on other albums, but they were never able to, in my opinion, replicate the the fullness of sound that they burst out the door with. Right. You know, on on core. Mm-hmm. You know, even with purple, you see a little bit of it. You just see, you know, instead of there being, you know, talking about pretty much every track on the album, you know, you're talking about half the tracks. And then we get to the third, fourth album, fifth album, you're talking about one track, two tracks. You know, that, mentally, that's what stuck out to me going through this anthology was was that. is It's it's like a trickle down, but... And it's not that they lost their magic. They're amazing. And everything, you know, you listen to every track, you listen to intricacies of every track as you're going through this. But you just see that, and uh, I'll get to that when we get to number four. I had some notes on number four that I think mm-hmm. you guys will... will. <laughs> so, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Well, before Tiny Music came out, they were on the Led Zeppelin tribute album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did Dancing Days. And I always loved their version of this. It's pretty, you know, straightforward, similar. Right. Only thing, you know, I mean, obviously, he's not really singing like Robert Plant, but he's got that same style going. And to me, you know, you mentioned Pretty Penny. I didn't even really think about it until I came back to this, that that kind of had that same feel as Dancing Days in a way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a little brighter, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I always love that version. Hey, man, Zeppelin lives in us all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, in March of 96, Tiny Music Songs from the Vatican gift shop came out. All right, well, this is where I'm going to go take a piss, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, look, I'm just going to... Go ahead, say it. Dude. It was just lazy, it. lo-fi production. Yep. This was just like I, I was okay with purple. I, I understood, you know, you're gonna you're gonna evolve a little bit, and you know, okay, if you evolve again, that's fine. But I just didn't like it. Um, I don't know. I think that um, Big Bang Baby. I thought was I, I don't know. I liked the video because it was like this lo-fi. Just they did it like a you know a public access show or something. That was funny. Yeah. But really, I just, I don't know, you know, tripping on a hole in a paper heart and, you know, it picks up and, and, uh, oh God, what was it? 
I'm finding it. I'm finding it. I'm finding it. Oh God! Uh, it's just the art school girl that picks up, but you know, Lady Picture Show is just like, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. I and I just from what they were the first two albums, this was just, I don't know. Like I said, it was just it just felt lazy to me. Uh, to me, there was nothing for the for the for the fans. They even with Trippin' and Big Bang, they were those were the two songs that they pushed that the label yeah. pushed, which is you know fine. But they're also two of the uh, better songs on the album. The rest of the stuff seems like it's watered down and like it was catering to something that mm-hmm. didn't need, they didn't need to cater to. No, I mean they yeah. they, they were so established already is what mm-hmm. they were. And it's like they were trying to expand their audience to a softer audience when yeah. they didn't need to. Yeah. I mean, they they already had this rabid fan base mm-hmm. with the, with the third album. You know. Why go? Why go softer? And the, the thing that was one of the things that was noticeable to me on this album was the lyrical. Uh, the lyrics were all uh, watered down too. Yeah. Uh, it was there was none of uh, none of the no, the none of the lyrics you hear off of like dead and bloated or off of you know plush or even sex sex type thing. You know all those lyrics were very poetic. You know were very out in they were out there, but it was it was very Scott Weiland. Mm-hmm. With this, I think there was, I don't know if there was somebody else involved with the lyrics or, or what, what was the situation by now or by this time frame, but the, the lyrics were very watered down. You listen to it and you're like, eh, you know, <laughs> it's not what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, Tiny Music, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. <laughs> when we were starting this, I was, I was excited to listen to this because I had it in my head i don't like this album i haven't listened to it forever so i thought going back to it might kind of like what we talked about earlier might rediscover stuff but that was absolutely not the case (laughs) (laughs) so true it's i mean like you said the sound of it it's just the guitar just real weak sounding almost tiny and it just it's 1996 and it sounds like a band that came out in 1996. Ex- exactly, yeah. man. That's a great way to put it, and and that's See, why I just thought, come on, guys. Yeah. Like if this you know? was Harvey Danger, mm-hmm. <laughs> or fucking, <laughs> you know, yeah. Dishwaller, the, the, the pop sound, yeah, the pop, they were yeah. going for the pop sound, yeah. And tripping on a hole in the paper heart was their first single, and it, they were a one hit wonder. And mm-hmm. then I found this album and listened to it. I probably think, yeah, this is an underrated album from a one-hit wonder band right but it's you hear these songs and you know what the two albums before brought it's almost like when i heard load by metallica yeah. i'm like if this was any other band i'd love it but yeah. it's not it's the band that wrote master puppets and ride the lightning so this is yeah. fucked up yeah you know exactly. <laughs> but see now i go back and hear load and i think it's fine but that's mm-hmm. not the case with tiny music so yeah. i don't well, there were several songs on Tiny Music that, that would have been perfect uh, theme songs for like the Friends and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're writing theme songs now. Oh, yeah. okay. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like tripping on the hole in Paper Hearts, probably the best song on here to me, and I don't even want to hear that. No, right? yeah. Right. Like tumbling. And I just feel dumb saying that title. I don't know. <laughs> right. I, I'll, I'll say it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> I was worried I was going to realize. You're it. safe. You're I knew safe. you didn't like it, but I was thinking, oh yeah. man, Brandon's going to love this and we're going to piss him off. Yeah, I was going to skip over to him for that That's the, you know, <laughs> the roller coaster down. So, yeah. You're good. <laughs> well, three years later in October of 99, number four came out. Thank God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they redeemed Re- themselves. I was about to say, let's, they redeemed themselves. In my opinion. That, uh, Right out the gate, the song down 
is better than everything on Tiny Music combined. Yeah, <laughs> yes it is. But I and also, he's kind of getting back into his, his that that core type singing a little bit. Right. Well, and, and lyrically, it it was an uptick in lyrics as well. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. I mean, just the lyrics on Sour Girl alone were worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. True. But it goes into what you said earlier about they wouldn't couldn't really recapture core and. Mm-hmm. As good as Down is, it's not better than anything on Core. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's better than any of those songs. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that they were trying to recapture. Core. Yeah, I, mean, I just. I, I don't know. I just hope that. Well, no, I, I mean, I would I'm hope not saying that. that maybe they never were, but I'm just saying yeah. it. It's not at that level. Maybe that's a yeah, better way yeah, to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if 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 fans uh, come from a fan standpoint, because I've always been a rabid fanboy of, of STP as far as that goes, as far as just being like, yes, you know, God, where's the music coming from, and you know, just trying to. From a fan standpoint, if if they had released something with the same feel of it, even a couple tracks, just to you know, hey, this is this one's for the fans of, of this all the way through to keep our you know keep our base audience sated, satisfied, and then you know the, this stuff is for our, our shifting momentum that the label wants us to take. If they had even tried to do mixes like that, it would have been fine. But with the curveball they threw us with tiny music. Then to step back in with, with the number four, you know, still you look at it and it didn't push the heaviness at as as much as core and half of purple yeah. at all. They didn't they didn't try to recapture the heaviness. They they were still staying on the they were still airing to the side of the light, um, which is what they went too far with with tiny music. But then just kind of came back and tried to find a middle ground mm-hmm. with number four. Yeah, and they they did it right. They did it right by a couple songs, but. There were still a few in there that could have easily been TV theme songs. You know, there's still you know probably three or four different songs on we're going through that album that that could have been easily you know just <laughs> pop pop culture TV song <laughs> TV show themes. So well, what you mentioned is what Pearl Jam did better than Stone Pots because that you know that first album's masterpiece, second album is really good, but there's a few things whatever. Right. And in that third album where STP took the fall off. Pearl Jam kind of went back to that darker sound almost with Tiny Tony, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's not really the point of this thing. But that's for the Pearl Jam episode <laughs> yeah. that'll take us a year to do. But you're right. <laughs> yeah, somebody. somebody I know songs. they got so many damn records. <laughs> so many live albums how, too. How dare they be prolific? <laughs> Those bastards! Right. Yeah. Why do they keep making music? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what they do for a living. <laughs> what if we did a, every live album in a row of Pearl Jam? Oh my god! Just the live ones yeah. alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'd be here till, I don't know, 2032. 20, but No Way Out and Heaven and Hot Rods are both great yeah, no way out. rock songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're pure, they're pure rock songs. Yeah, sure. I love Pruno. That was awesome. To me, outside of, you know, just the, the, that the feel of STP's back, the highlight of this thing is the three ballads are like as good of ballads as they ever did, besides mm-hmm. Creep, probably. With yeah, Sour did. Girl. Sour I got, is right up there with Creep. Is I got you and Glide, which Glide is so non, yeah. that's so real pop, but to me, that's yeah. such an amazing song. That right. I just, yeah, I gravitate I, towards it every time I listen to that album, you know? Yeah, uh, other than Down, I Got You was the song on that record that I always, I mean, I always hit repeat. Right. You know? Yeah, Down, yeah. Down and Sour Girl were my two repeats off that. Uh, just there's the other stuff didn't really completely ring a bell, but I, I do remember I got you very well from just from that, and uh, I don't know I just it it was probably one that should they should have pushed more from the label. I mean as a that was one that they missed. I think they missed the ball, and if they just tweaked it even slightly and put put it as a radio single, it would have done fine. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, both those sour girl and I got you. Uh-huh. 
Well, Sour Sour Girl got got some force behind it. Did it? It, okay. it got some national. Oh, yeah, there's the video because yeah. yeah. what's her face is in the video. Mm-hmm. Um, God, who was that? I don't remember either. I didn't some watch actress that was in a show at that time that was popular. <laughs> yeah, and that's ninety nine. So who remembers? Yeah, that? exactly. Years ago. Holy crap! Time's flying. Yeah. <laughs> Was it Alicia Silverstone, like the Aerosmith video? No, I would have remembered that. <laughs> Me too. I mean, Liv Tyler and Alicia Silverstone. Yeah. <laughs> At a strip club on Amateur Night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Do I remember that? No, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, the next year in 2000, they were on the Doors tribute album with their version of Break On Through to the Other Side. I wasn't real fond of that, that one. Yeah, I, yeah hadn't, I, I hadn't heard it since back then. And... I like the fact that they kind of gave it their own spin, but it's not like amazingly memorable to me. Right. No, yeah, time. they. That's the only one in all these cover songs they did that I think they really made their own. They it's took, like they, but it's like they gave it a spin just to give it a spin, not to make it sound like them. Yeah, okay. they, they yeah. took a lot of liberties yeah. in those verses, and I was just like, <laughs> you know. Well, I know he played it live with, with the Doors as well. Really? Yeah, I saw that on YouTube when I pulled this up. I oh, watched yeah. that and it was good. But yeah. Shangri-La Dida came out in June 2001. Mm-hmm. And I, this is kind of where I had, everything was starting to kind of rediscover for me, you know, by listening to this because it's been probably 17 years since I listened to this, you know, because yeah. I, I know I had the album and I listened to it when it came out a mm-hmm. decent amount, but it just kind of fell off and right. ended up. You know, after that, if I listen to STP, it was the first two albums, you know? Yeah. But Dumb Love's a great kickoff song. Great opener, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I had on mine. <laughs> Same <Yeah>. here. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, my, my notes on this are pretty simple. Shangri La Vida. Um, what, I, what I was looking at, on because uh, I also tend to look at it from a, not, not from a business perspective, but to see what song got pushed. Um, which, which song they put money behind which song they did a video for which song they, they marketed mm-hmm. and the only song that they, they marketed off this uh, and unsuccessfully was Days of the Week yeah. right. and it was a good song in its own but it's still it was really light mm-hmm. and I personally think Dumb Love and Too Cool Queenie were way better songs yeah those and were. way better songs and to me, that's the cream of the album. Obviously, it's just is those two. Yeah. But then they, you know, I'm not sure if it was the band or the label or whoever, you know. But you know, because you never know. Yeah. <laughs> so without yeah. seeing the anthology of, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, they just I think they missed the ball on those those two those two songs pushing those as singles instead. When when Days of the Week failed, and, you know, they'll say the label was the one that pushed that pushed them into doing Days of the Week as their single. You know, they should have. We immediately came back with, okay, great, let's take Dumb Love and do some and push yeah. it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. it happened. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I liked Coma, yeah. uh, Hollywood Bitch. That was cool. I mean, I mean, that was a good song. Had some bite to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I thought finally, uh, you know, the, the, the weird production of the last couple of few albums was gone. You know, number four and Shangri La, they're getting back to, you know, sounding good. Which which was which was great. It's like you know, be soft if you want, just fucking sound good, you know. So that's I was really happy about that. These last two albums that we've talked about, Long Way Home, anyways. That you know that had a good stomp to it. So yeah, to me, throughout this whole thing, you hear a Beatles vibe. I mean, influence. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and you mentioned the pop thing early on. That's you can hear that throughout their whole 
career, but days of the week is almost just like, hey, let's sound like the Beatles, you know? Yeah, I get and, that. I get that. But days of the week, eight days a week. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I I thought the slower songs on here, like "Wonderful" and "Black Again," are good, but they don't stick with me and anywhere near the level that you know the ones we just talked about on number four did. Right. And the sound on on this album to me seems more you know balanced than the last couple of albums, but the second half of the album isn't anywhere near as good as the first. It's like if this was a vinyl, I would probably not flip it over. Like yeah. I listen to side A and then just be done. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly what you mean there. Yeah. But all right. So then after this, they released the greatest hits album in 2003 and it included a new song called All in the Suit That You Wear. And I remember that getting some decent radio play and I mm-hmm. I liked it back then and it was, I hadn't heard it in a long time and listened to it again. I thought it was good. You know, it could have easily fit on the last couple of albums. Yeah, I, I liked his vocals on that. You know, he kind of went deeper at the start of it. I, I kind of thought that was cool. So stuck out, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, sure. it was an okay song for sure. It, yeah. You can kind of tell that the, the, the song was a model around the vocals versus just being a, uh-huh. you know, each, each uh, member of the band doing their thing. I think they built that around the vocal one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then they had a, they broke up, I guess, at this point. Yes. And they came back together and... We'll just say hiatus. That's Because <laughs> right. I think they came back together in like 2008 or nine, but then they released the next album in May 2010, which well, was self-titled. Uh, wasn't the Revolution Tribute in there somewhere? Oh, yeah. I forgot to write that down on here. But yeah, I listened to that. <laughs> yeah, so they did the Beatles tribute as well. They love doing these tribute albums, right? That Revolution song, <laughs> yeah, their their version of that, I liked that. Yeah, I, I liked it better than their Doors their Doors song because a they stuck to the formula of the song, but did it their way. It, that's the differences in the, that I was listening for. When somebody remakes a song, I, I listen to okay, did they keep the integrity of the song, but do it their way? That's mm-hmm. that's really all primarily what I listen yeah. for. Yeah, I mean, because Revolution's got that raw, gritty vocal, like Wyland, you know, was great at anyway it was to fit it yeah yeah <laughs> and revolution a is a song that tons of people have redone throughout the years but you're right this one stuck to me a little more than most people's versions of that did yeah. so yeah there you go but so then may 2010 was the self-titled album i guess now we can say the first self-titled album yes stp deluxe <laughs> yeah so to me when i listen to this like going back this was, you know, kind of new to me as well because I haven't listened to it in eight years. And this, the sound kind of picks up, up where Shangri-La-Di-Da left off. I, I get that. But it's almost not even as memorable as Shangri-La-Di-Da. And we were no. talking about how that was kind of like, eh. No. But it's it's not that it's bad at all, but it just doesn't really hit me or any songs like jump out that I want to like go back. I need to listen to this again. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing they felt the same way because they did. Yeah. There was yeah. nothing that was really pushed on that song. Yeah, on that really. It was like, oh, here's the STP Deluxe, but... I don't recall a single off that album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, you know, off of Shangri La Dada, they pushed Days of the Week. Uh, you know, that was the only song that got money behind it where they actually did, you know, Radio Blitz and all the fun stuff that you normally see. But I don't remember a song from, from Deluxe at all having that. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, so I know there's a song I like off of it, but that's not the song that got put. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's not any, any that got pushed. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I thought uh, Peacoat and Fast as I Can were pretty cool. Great songs. Those, yeah. those were. 
I like Hickory Dichotomy. I think in those verses, he's kind of channeling his Michael Monroe a little bit, just oh, a nice. little bit. Yeah. Oh, maybe. So I, that was cool. Um, Cinnamon, I thought was dumb. You know, it's like, are they trying to get on Ellen? <laughs> Is this like Dog's Eye View or some shit? I mean, what dog's the fuck? I just, that, that just, I, I just, I couldn't wait for that song to be over. Right. <laughs> and that, those, that, those are my thoughts on the first self-titled. If any of you guys, like cinnamon, I apologize. <laughs> I, I didn't like cinnamon, I, but I did like I did like Hickory. That, that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a cool song. That was my, that's my 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 one shining light okay. on the album is, okay. is that song. Everything else to me was kind of take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. So. I like Huckleberry Crumble and Hazy Days as well as the songs you mentioned, but I didn't like them to the point, kind of like you said that. They yeah, exactly. They weren't exactly. replay special. They weren't that right. song that you're like, oh, hey, there's that song again. Hit it again and hit it yeah. on replay. It's like, yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> so. When, like I mentioned before, with the, the Beatles influence, you can hear that a lot even more obviously on, on these songs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's just a thing that they were intentionally doing or they were just trying to be more straight up well, musically, pop and rock, you know? But yeah. they it just shone through more to me now, I guess. I know exactly what you mean. You can definitely see their roots in that. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I was getting at. Also with uh, Deluxe, it they hit a musical thing with Deluxe that because uh, this was their last album with with Scott Weiland. Um, but they hit a musical thing with Deluxe that you hear almost. It's like they the three musicians had found the 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 spot that they wanted to stay in and that they they wanted to continue in because for the next couple albums you hear the same um, uh, the same feel through the majority of the album. Um, just with different, just with different singers. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, it's, just, nice. it's the same feel. Uh, and I think they musically they had found that where they wanted to stay. Um, right. And you know that's a good thing for them, I guess. And that's yeah, you know, Dean, Dean DeLeo, Robert, and uh, Eric. They, they, I think they locked down the, the sound that they wanted to go with from from there going forward because. You see, you know, core is real heavy, then purple gets a little less heavy, then tiny music goes off into Never Never Land. <laughs> then, you know, and this is just the arc. And then number four tries to bring some of it back, but, you know, still yeah. has still has remnants of, of purple and remnants of tiny music. It's kind of like a mix in between. And then Shangri-La-Di-Da, they, they, they polish it up a little bit and put a little more production into it. And by Deluxe, they had better production. And, you know, so they, I guess they had more of, more of the machine. But then, uh, in the next two albums, the production stays almost exactly the same. Yeah. The, pr- the production you see uh, with Chester Bennington, the production you see with the, the new singer, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Goode, the, the production of, of the instruments and the production all the way through just feels the same on the next, on, for the rest of the way. Yeah. And I don't know, I just, it's kind of cool to, to notice things like that, and, and you only notice things like that when you do something like this, when you go through, when you go through an exactly. anthology of the artist. Yeah. So, so that's the things I'm looking at going, wow, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. There was a random note, I don't know why I didn't write this down in my notes and I plan to but there was a couple songs on this album that so I can't remember which ones they are that I heard a David Bowie influence mm-hmm. you know from Wyland mm-hmm. which I think you can hear that at other points yeah I can see that at, at times yeah, yeah for sure well other than the Hickory Dichotomy his lyrics are still watered down too yeah. that's the really? yeah um, yeah the lyrics are still you know very they're a lot more simple than what than what you're used to from them, mm-hmm. you know, in the first couple albums. And it's like, you know, where where did his where did his poet go, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is during that kind of lost period with them too. You mm-hmm. know, maybe he just was he was just kind of phoning mm-hmm. it in at this point. I think very possible. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and actually, uh, that brings me to a, to a point that I heard somebody say. I can't quote my source because I can't remember who it was. But they said as, a, as an artist, you get to a point where you do everything off of instinct initially. And then as you grow and as you get further and further along, you, as you start seeing what, what works or what is pleasing to the people around you, you start doing more and more of that. You start focusing on the things that you think of that work or the things that you think of that uh, are, you know, taking more experience than instinct. Yeah. And I think uh, in Scott Weiland's case, when he was operating off of instinct, we were getting like pure genius out of him. But then as he got further along in the career, and this could have been the drugs, this could have been the, the you know, just the career arc, but the more experience he got behind him, uh, song running, the, lyrically, it just, it, it lost its magic. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, it's just one of, the, one of those things that way. I don't know if he did all his own lyrics, but it, it was, it went from amazing, just poetic, you know, because I, li- I listen to lyrics a lot. Um, it went from this amazing poetic, just mo- masterpieces, and it just got you know, went down and down and down. Yeah. And got more uh, placating, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. That's like, a it good dumb, point. like it was dumbed down. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I so. get that. That's a good point. <clears throat> well, moving in to 2013, we got the first album with a different vocalist. Yeah. And they did this EP called High Rise where they got Chester Bennington on the vocals. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's a. I remember when I first heard it, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. But then when you hear him sing, it's like you never think about how much he kind of already sounds that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, my my and, note was like, it's kind of his version of Wyland. Yeah. Not him trying to be him or anything, but it's just his version of what he probably thinks those songs should sound like because it's one of his favorite bands. So, I mean, I, I thought it was cool. I mean, right out the gate, the music to me just seemed to have more attitude to it than... The last couple albums, yeah. and it's just more of a hard rock feel and more just kind of urgency. That's mm-hmm. the word you always use. Oh, yeah. And it, like you said, it sounds a lot like Wyland, but it still sounds like Chester. Mm-hmm. And I wish, you know, I just kind of wish we could have gotten more uh, me too. of him just oh, to yeah. see what would have happened with that, you know? Oh, yeah. All they did was an EP, but he yeah. burned the candle at both ends. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. well, three ends anyway. But... They, they did that one tour and <coughs> yeah. he had to go back to Lincoln Park, mm-hmm. but. Oh, as soon as I heard that they put Chester Bennington at the at the range of Stunt Pilots, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm naturally surfing YouTube by then looking for him doing all the, the old STP stuff before yeah. the singles came out, you know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this is an album, the, the uh, five songs, it, and again, reiterating what you guys just said, they there, there should have been more. They should have just, Definitely. they should have locked themselves in a room for six months, wrote a bunch of songs and took, took what floated to the top. Yeah. But, uh um, maybe that's what they did and they only came out with five but yeah. still um, I'm just I'm really glad they let uh, they seem to let Chester have carte blanche with, with uh, the vocals on it because you gotta you gotta remember with Lincoln Park he's only halfway half the time mm-hmm. because you know him and Mike Shinoda are, are splitting the splitting the bill. You know, you've yeah. got the you know the the rap and the fast paced verbal versus the and then he comes in with the vocal yeah. well, with this he's carrying the whole load for the first time ever so that's that's something you got to look at too, and he does it with he does it stellar. You know, yeah, he does yeah. a stellar job doing it, and that's I, there's just this whole the whole five song EP I just was into. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, the only other note I had on that was like like I said before, they they kept their musical edge. That, that I, I felt they kept they caught a musical edge in the 2010 deluxe album. Um, the the vocals and the lyrics weren't there for me, but the music had had found found a, a, its own 
its own uh, life. And they kept that musical edge and went a little harder with it in this album. And then Chester Bennington coming on top of it complemented them mm-hmm. so so well. Yeah, it was a, it was a perfect fit. It was a really good fit for them. Yeah. So if they could have stolen him away from Lincoln Park, they probably you know. <laughs> yeah. But he already had a uh, you know a multinational selling band Lincoln Park. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, I I've never been a huge Lincoln Park fan, and I honestly it was because Mike Shinoda bugged me, and I I like I don't have a problem with rap rock or even rap. Right. I just didn't like Mike Shinoda, mm. and I always liked Lincoln Park songs that were heavy on Chester or entirely Chester. So to hear this. I'm like, yeah, it was awesome. Kid this just makes on. me worse than Lincoln Park yeah, was. Well, this and then there's always the thing Lincoln is Park, like, you know? yeah, I, I mean, I'm the same as you. Know, I was never a huge Lincoln Park fan, mainly because I don't really like rap at all. But Chester Bennington had such a great fucking voice and it was so powerful, you know. And I saw him live, you know, I saw Lincoln Park with Metallica once. And I mean, that guy is just insane, you know. He can hold the mic way out here. And, you know, I mean, it's just nuts. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, moving along, what, five years later, moving into this year, actually, yep. in March, they released the self-titled album with their new vocalist, Jeff Goot. Yes. Well, this is after, this is uh, one little side note here, this is after a two-year surge and battle with their label on who should be their next singer. Wow. Because uh, in early, 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 like January 2017, maybe it was even December of 2016, they started a lead singer search right where they did a search through Indaba music I, I only know because I was part of it um, I put out uh, I, I sent in two songs and uh, we had just finished the first Shiner album and I wasn't able to send him any of my original material because we got it back like two months after the deadline yeah but anyway I sent I went and sent him to uh, where a uh, what I do Interstate Love Song and Vaseline and uh, I think on the old Shiner Reformation page, both of those tryout songs are still on the bottom end of that music. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but I went, uh, we had just finished working with John LeCompte out of, uh, from Evanescence Out in Low Rock. Mm-hmm. And he, he called me up and he's, he's like, hey, did you see this thing? There's uh, some tough process for a new lead singer. He's like, you know, your voice would kind of fit that realm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I went out there and we did two, we did the two songs, sent it in, did one day, quick one day record. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sent it in. And apparently from, uh, the behind the scenes stories that I've heard on this is that uh, the the band wanted one so- one singer, the label wanted a different one, <laughs> and the management wanted a third one. So, wow. Oh wow! Yeah, so there was a tug of war, and it just took a. This is again, this is just hearsay, but this is what I you know heard from from you know people that would know something at least. But yeah, there was a tug of war, and that's the reason it took them a year and a half just to bring out wow. the, the new singer and get him out was because you know they never finalized on it. Wow. So, and, but then they settled on Jeff Goot, who his voice is perfect for him. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I remember reading there was thousands of, you know, auditions and stuff. Tens of like, thousands. Like, how did that, how did that work? Did they say send anything you want or did they request you to send STP songs? No, it was, uh, <coughs> basically the, the way the tryout was supposed to go was you were supposed to do, um, <clears throat> they, they would, they offered three backing tracks and you're supposed to do at least two out of three of the backing tracks. Okay. Um, I think it was, uh, Sex type thing, interstate love song, Vaseline were the were the three that they sent tracks for that they had tracks readily available for people to download and and record and send into them just to show what you could do kind of thing. Uh, and then you were also supposed to send a track of some uh, another project you were working on something that shows your songwriting skills because they wanted to see that you at least knew what you were doing in the lyric department. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where what what that part of it was about. But like I said, uh, I would have, I had to send them something old old you know old stuff that. Uh, uh, 
before we were able to come up with our, po- our, our polished album because we were two months behind. Our we didn't, <coughs> we didn't get our final tracks back until two months after <laughs> until wow. after the deadline, and I was like, ah, wish you could have gotten that. But yeah, so it was it was really cool though. It was a really cool you know uh, process and everything. I got to meet some cool people that way too. So yeah, right on. But yeah, that, that's the, that was the the basic process was Indabaugh Music did that, and then through Indabaugh Music they they just started narrowing it down from there. Okay. And then the funniest part is they end up with a guy who didn't even submit through that. Yeah, <laughs> right. A guy that was found on what the X Factor. X Factor, yeah. yeah. X Factor, one of the uh, TV shows. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, well, I was going to ask you this after the fact. I'll just ask now. Like as a singer, what do you think about singers like this that are like emulating someone so closely that it is obvious what they're doing? I mean, does it bother you, or do? You, think in this case it doesn't matter it's well there, uh, there's two two standpoints of it he's a he's making a career out of it so good for him yeah. good good on him if, if he can make a living doing it and he loves what he's doing more power to him on the the other side of the coin it it does end up being uh if the, the, the fact that they're coming out with new music is great right it, it but the fact that what they're touring is primarily all the old stp stuff and he's trying to sound like scott wyland on those songs that uh, it's it's a double edged sword. Like I said, it's got its it's got its bads too. And, and the only bad I see to it, as a, from a singer standpoint, is that hey, if you're gonna sing something, sing it like you. Right. You know that that's the way. I, that's what I've always been told. If you're gonna sing something, even if you're doing a, a even if you're out at a drunken karaoke night, if you're gonna sing something, sing it like you. Don't yeah. sing, don't try to yeah. imitate the 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 other person because nine times out of ten you're gonna you're gonna fail doing it. Now, given. They, uh, I think one of the reasons they they snatched him up is because he's got a lot of the vocal qualities that Scott Weiland has. Mm-hmm. So when he's singing, he comes out sounding. He there's a few things that resonate, you know, on the old tunes with him on there. And, but when they're making the new songs, and that that's what one something that was in my notes on the new album. When they're making new songs, you can hear him because he he can drop the any imitation he's got to do. He can drop that, and you really hear what he's got. So that's where where it comes from, but I don't know. I've just never been beyond the. Uh, I've always told myself if I got hired by a band to do just someone else's songs, I I don't know that that would be something I would be good at long term because yeah. I wouldn't want to keep up the <laughs> the charade of try of specifically trying to sing like someone else because I can't. I can sound like several different singers, but <clears throat> I don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I sound like me. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, it's a good album. It's energetic. It's better than, you know, the last Wyland album, I think. And I mean, it's got yeah. good songs and it's a good continuation of their catalog. It's not as good as High Rise. Um, oh, no, I don't but think that. it's but definitely better than Deluxe. Yeah. Um, and I would say of the albums, if I were to rank them, this would be their... It's be, this one would be square in the middle of the pack. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely square in the middle of the pack. I have two or three albums that are that are lower than than the stuff with Jeff Goop, but then, you know, obviously, you know, a, a handful. <coughs> of the, the remainder of them are you know much better. But uh, this one, the the first uh, single I've heard off of this was Meadow. Right. Um, and then because I didn't pick up this album when it first came out, I didn't, I, I didn't have that much interest at the time. So I'm like, oh, new singer, okay, great. So then they they start pumping Meadow on the radio. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, upbeat, you know, it's, it's got his own thing, and and you can hear his own voice plainly. He's in Meadow. He's not trying to he's not trying to channel Scott Wayland, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, he's doing exactly what he needs to do. And it's a good 
it's a good pop rock song. It's a good radio rock song. Is what it is. Yeah. It's not old Stone Temple Pilots, but it's you know it's not <clears throat> tiny music. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It, it's it's a radio rock song. It's like Foo Fighters. You know, it, it's it's in that realm with you know because it doesn't have the grit that Stone Temple Pilots used to have. Right. And it's so, like I said, once they got to deluxe musically, when, when I said that they found that thing and just and have kept that polished music sound from there on out, that that fast paced polished music sound. That's what you hear through all the way through this album, and uh, you know. It's just, it's good that way. And it seems like the note that stuck out to me the most was it seems like the band's more focused on um, catching uh, catchy things that have worked in the past and, you know, and dwelling on them than, you know, moving on to or just operating off instinct or trying to find new ground, if you will. So they've they've found that they found their, their path and their, and they're going square down that path. Yeah. But like you mentioned the grit, and I mean the song "Roll Me Under," which was the next single, mm-hmm. second single, sounds like, like you said, just that middle of the road yeah. radio rock. But you could hear that song; they could have added more grit to a song like that, and you could hear Wyland singing it. And it would oh, yeah. sound like old school STP. Exactly. So I appreciate that at least. Yep. You know, and I mean, there's good stuff on this. I know when it came out, we talked about it on a podcast and you really liked it. I liked that. Yeah. Middle of Nowhere, Thought She'd Be Mine. I I like Meadow. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a good album. It's a good record. And oh, I my toes tap to it. A, <laughs> yeah. I like Foo Fighters too and that's what I'm saying. It's, it's But from from where it's at, it's middle of the road rock and you yeah. know, it's right where they want to be. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and you know, with, with what they're doing now with this new singer, I mean, they can, they'll, they'll be on <clears throat> all the festivals. They'll be in the They'll play the Canes ballrooms and the cotillions mm-hmm. and all that, you know. I will say this, yeah, he's more of a pop, I would say he's more of a pop singer than, than uh, Scott Whalen. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So. Well, the, you know, we saw him with Jeff at Rocklahoma, and mm-hmm. it was a festival set, and they, what, played maybe an hour, hour and ten minutes. Yeah. And the cool thing was they did both those singles, which, you know, some bands might shy away and just do one. All right. And so, I mean, that shows that they're not... You know, obviously, most people that are going to see him are going for the nostalgia reason, of course. Right. But you know, I just saw some chains and half their, <clears throat> excuse me, almost half the set, like seven songs, were William Duvall era songs. Gotcha. And I don't think you'll ever see that from an STP show. <clears throat> but right. I think moving forward, they're not going to forget this stuff. You know, years from now, if he's still in the band and they release a second album mm-hmm. with him, they'll probably still be playing Meadow or Roll Me Under or something. Yeah. So yeah, those two will stick with them because they're they're toe tapping. People remember yeah. them. They they they've got. Very catchy hooks in them too, right. and just it, it really good hooks that, and that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah here in Meadow, the first couple times, and, and you know, you, there's that one part that just replays, replays, replays in your head, and you're like, okay, yep, got that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's infectious <laughs> it's for me. sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we kind of you know touched on a couple times, but we didn't really ever like go into any of the guys besides Wallen, and I mean, <clears throat> you know, it's obvious to note that. This band's been the same three guys the whole time. Oh, yes. yeah. Which yeah. I think is what makes the music consistently quality music, whether or not we think the song's as good as Interstate Love Song or Plush or not. It's still well written music. Yeah. And, um, yeah, musically, they found, like yeah. you said, they found their group and they right. stick with it. From uh, Scott Whalen's last album to Chester, now to Jeff, you, you, you take those three albums and run those three back to back, and musically, they're all just solid musically the whole way through. Yeah, it's a good. They point. weren't, they weren't, they weren't trying new <coughs> things. They're just they're they're taking what works and they're they're mining it and they're doing what doing what works with it. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, it's it's a great formula for for making good. Uh, 
pardon the expression, but it's good pop rock, mm-hmm. you know, at that time, at the time now. So, and that's, you know, there's not a lot of uh, edgy pop rock out there. It's either like your watered down Maroon 5s and stuff like that, and just everyone trying to do uh, stuff like that, or you, there's the other end of the spectrum. They're, they're, they're trying to be middle of the road, and that's what they're successfully doing with it. Yeah. So... And you know it's a way to go way to make radio. Same formula <clears throat> fighters is used for how many years now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So. yeah. Well, yes. I mean, it's inter- you know it was cool to go through all this because you, like you said, there's that arc, mm-hmm. and I mean I think it's it's back up again. So oh, yeah, yeah, it is, and, and I'm glad they're around still. So yeah, because like you pointed out, I mean, people bitch. They're always going to bitch if you have a new singer when a guy's dead, or even if he's not dead. And uh, oh yeah. You, I remember you mentioned on the episode we talked about it. You're like, these guys deserve as much as Wyland to. They three guys are in this band. They deserve to go on whether yeah. he's here or not. Well, Wyland went through hell too. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. he put him through hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. yeah he yeah, exactly. So, so I'm glad that I'm glad for them that they're back doing. You know, they're not held back anymore. Right. There's, Maybe harsh as that is to say, but oh well, yeah. you know, it is what it is. And drugs are a bear, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can take a band down real fast. Yeah. I did. Did you guys all see, everybody see him live with Wyland? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I guess the last time I saw him, I saw him at Bill Street Music Fest um, 2011, I think. I saw him in 98 in Cleveland, and then. Uh, 2001, and that was the only times I've seen him live. Okay. So we saw him in the pavilion with Cheap Trick opening. That's right. Was that the only time I've seen him? That was like 96 or 97. Maybe 90. God. I was on a purple album. Yeah. <clears throat> it seems like. 95 or 97. I mean, I've seen him with Jeff Goot, but I mean, yeah. God, I don't. I think that was the only time I saw him with Wyland. Jesus. Did you go that tour with Butthole Surfers? No, I didn't go to that one. It was in Mall Park. No. Right. Did not go to that one. Yeah. Any final thoughts on this thing? They are, uh, they definitely made their mark on music for sure. Yeah. Just the first two albums alone, man, were huge. Yeah. And the way they just took things by storm, they did it their way. <laughs> that's, yeah. Every musician aspires to have that kind of effect. Right. You know, that's that's like the precipice of, of what you expect from music. And just, it's the, uh, but this is the classic, like, 70s rock star tale in a 90s and early 2000s package, you know, where where the drugs got a hold of them and just took took the train where it wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you all this on the, uh, just thinking, you know, all the hits they had in their first album and the stories and, you know, all that. Do you think that one day they'll get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. No no doubt. Yeah. They'll be in. They'll, They'll be in, no doubt. All five of those bands. You know, because they get thrown in the, oh, the four, yeah, yeah, the four yeah, bands yeah. from Seattle, yeah. they get thrown into that category. <clears throat> Only because they came out at the same time. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, I mean Tool, were... Tool broke at the same time, too. Yeah. Yeah, true. You got to remember how many bands broke in that, in that, I mean, like, literally made their huge break anyway. <laughs> they may have been going for a couple years already, but made that big break from the 92 to 95 area and yeah. just made a huge leaps and bounds through that area. I mean, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of good bands came out of that realm. Yeah. And but yeah, they always get lumped in with the Seattle scene, even though they're more of a, a hard rock sound. Yeah, they're they're not. They didn't really. Ha- they never struck me as grunge. Right. That's I mean, yeah. I mean, the first album has that that feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's but, like, it's, it has the dirty feel to it. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's like, say those five bands. I mean, they're kind of more akin to Pearl Jam in the fact that 
they went in different ways, you know, because mm-hmm. Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Nirvana all had different movements, but they're all pretty much down a straight line of what they sound like mm-hmm. for the majority of their career outside of, you know, Soundgarden, not the early stuff, but you know, yeah. um, but some of the pods did a good job of, like I said, expanding on what they did, yeah. whether they, <clears throat> whether you said it was a record label or it was their choice or whatever. Yeah. Not yeah, everybody can say that that they went in that many different directions. Well, I'm, I'm a little little bit oddball because I loved Soundgarden, I loved STP, I loved Alice in Chains when they came out, but I hated Nirvana at first. I really did. Exactly. I hated them. So for, we, for the first five yeah. years, I just uh, I was like, oh, they're on again, they're on the radio. Oh, but then yeah, like I said, then some of their songs started connecting. It was, it, it, I don't know how it had that delayed reaction, but it's that story I've told him, I've told him on the podcast a million times when they came out. I mean, I, I thought. Alice in Chains was cool, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, those. But when I heard Nirvana, I was like, really? This is sloppy? This is just garbage? Yeah. And look, I, I obviously didn't know shit because they blew the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, so, yeah. yeah I, and I, I still I still don't really, I mean, one or two songs, but I don't know, I'm not, no. If I was to rank those five bands, they're definitely number five. Oh, yeah. 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 Totally agree there. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we appreciate you doing this with us. It's Hell yeah. fun. We did I'm it. glad to be here for sure, man. This yeah. is awesome. And like I said, the time I've taken listening to this, just it it takes you through an arc and you know, you get to listen to the story of a band basically when you do something like this. Yeah. And anybody out there, pick pick your favorite artist, listen to everything from day one to present day. Listen to everything they've done and listen for the changes in their music, listen to the arc. It's it's really awesome to do. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. So it's it's definitely it, it gives you an experience and you know, it gives you a way to connect with a band that you didn't previously do, you know, because there's a lot of people that, that don't think of doing this. So, yeah. Uh, and we're definitely on another note looking forward to the Thunder Underground Fest in uh, about two weeks from when we're recording this. Oh, yeah. yeah. This will probably be on sometime next week, I assume. So. Yeah. yeah. In a few days. So, <laughs> yeah, so about a week, week and a half. Or... That's right. Yeah. That's right. There you go. Stone Temple Pilots, every album in a row, featuring our friend Brandon, the vocalist for the band Driver. Big thank you to him for doing that and also the suggestion for doing Stone Temple Pilots as well. Yes, definitely. I think it ended up, it was a great conversation. Yeah. And I loved going back and listening to a lot of this more than I thought I would in some places. Yeah, that's a good point because for me, like I mentioned earlier, when you had a band like Metallica or Megadeth, there wasn't really much that I'd forgotten about if that, you know, Mm -hmm. there might be a few things that I had. Not yeah, listened to exactly. it in a while, but like I still knew about him. But with Stone on Pilots, there's that middle period, or the you know the later period actually that I yeah. just I had listened to it all at some point, but never to a point to where a lot of this stuff was totally fresh. So and that kind of made it a cooler experience too, you know, just getting to hear all this stuff like from the first couple albums that are ingrained in your head, yeah. clear up to stuff that are completely lost to you. you know? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, so if you like that kind of thing, like we mentioned earlier, Molly Crew, Pantera, Alice in Chains, Metallica, Megadeth, Ozzy Osbourne, Van Halen, Kiss. Yeah. I think that covers them all. Just just put you on the spot here. Like, what's, maybe throw two or three bands that you'd like to do next, like, legit, for real. Well, we've mentioned, like, every time we've done, well, not every time, the last couple of times we said we were going to do Faith No More. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, well, we can just not like it's needs to be a secret. We've already talked to Jason Carroll 
about yeah, doing Iron right. Maiden. Yeah, that, that would be a great one. Iron Maiden's one we mentioned way back before anyway. Yeah. That would be a good one. So Iron Maiden would probably be the next one I would think. Yeah, I think that'd be a great yeah. one. Yeah. But legitimate ones we've talked about that would be great, I think, are Def Leppard. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I think maybe getting crazy and doing something like Aerosmith because wow. that's kind of spanned a lot of stuff. And then we've also, another person we've talked to is Travis Davis from Claim Your Enemy mm-hmm. about doing the ACDC one. Like, can he actually mention that himself? They did love to do that. And that's, that's one that would be, it's interesting to me because so many people are like, well, it all sounds the same. It sounds the same. It but does, I think the three it, of us are it, like. It would be quite a thing. The three of us are like in tune with that band enough to where we could yeah. talk about it without saying it sounds the same. Yeah, know? totally. <laughs> Yeah, totally. You know, some good answers, good answers. Well, what about you? Is there anyone that you would love to do that we haven't mentioned? Oh, man, I, I, you know, we haven't, we haven't done Anthrax, have we? Oh, right. That's kind of obvious. I'd love to do Anthrax, (laughs) Slayer, some of those thrash bands. I think Typo Negative would be cool. Typo Negative. Tesla. Yeah, we've mentioned Tesla. Um, I think we could do even, you know, something, something like Ghost, I think we could do. You know, they, they've they got enough now. Where Do they? They've only got four albums. Four albums. Okay, yeah. But true. they're a good candidate there's because... A couple of, there's a couple of EPs that have covers and stuff. They're a good candidate since their sound changes. Yeah, their sound changes, so... You know who else is a good maybe candidate not, because of not. that is the cult? Now that is a good idea. I like yeah. that, Trent. I like where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So if we did... Typo negative, we'd have to get... We'd have to get Lola back on this podcast. Yeah, somehow. no kidding. No kidding. She doesn't live around here anymore, but we could figure it out. Yeah, somehow. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, go back and check all those out. Actually, only a few of them are available on the podcast. The majority of them are on YouTube. Yes. At the Thunder Underground. We'll slowly be putting those up, you know, the rest of them that aren't on mm-hmm. the podcast. But speaking of the podcast, 190 plus episodes now. Everything's at soundcloud.com backslash thunder-underground. You can find it all at thethunderunderground.com. You can listen on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. Whatever you listen on, subscribe to it or like it or follow it or whatever. You know, hit share or like. That helps a ton. Definitely. And just go back through and check them out. I mean, we've had on everyone from Gene Simmons, Bruce Kulik of KISS, formerly of KISS. Dave Elfson of Megadeth, John Connolly of Seven Dust, found on guys from Warrant, Shine Down, Europe. We had on recently Frank Hannon from Tesla. We mentioned Saxon earlier. Biff Byford was on this podcast. That's right. We've had on guys from Black Star Riders, Tommy Victor from Prong, Mike Dean and Reed Mullen, both from COC in separate episodes. We've had on Gumby from Battlecross three times. Adam Jode and the guys from Scattered Hamlet four times now. That's right. Speaking of Driver with Brandon, he had been on here before with the full band. Mike DiPetrillo has been on here two other times by himself, or once yeah. by himself, and then once with um, Scott from Death Grip, yeah. which was really cool. We've had on Sid Falk, formerly of Overkill. That's right. Ted uh, from Death Angel. Yeah, yeah Death Angel, fucking uh, Kevin Martin from Candlebox. Yes. Um, Wino from the Obsessed, Spirit Caravan, Ian Moore, 
uh, Jim Wilson from uh, Mother Superior and Motor Sister. Yeah. Uh, pretty much, you know, we got something for everybody. So go back through, you know, our episodes and, and just pick something. Kirk Winstein from Curl Bar. I don't know if you said that. No. Um, fucking, uh, I mean, Bauer just, Power. Yeah, Jimmy Bauer. Um, it, you know, Child Bite. I mean, it's just, uh, it's vast. So there's going to be something you're going to dig. Speaking of Child Bite, you see they're playing or doing a run of shows with, um, Phil and Samuel's band yeah. again. Yeah, and, well, not uh, again. They did it with Superjoint. Now it's with Phil's solo band. Yeah, and uh, they're coming to Little Rock. I don't yeah. haven't seen anything closer. Yeah, but the, that would be cool to see. Speaking of Phil, we had on. Well, like we said, Jimmy Bauer and Phil, you know, interrupted for about Phil thirty seconds. Peaked in for about thirty yeah. seconds, and you know, you can hear some words yeah. from <laughs> from the kid. Yeah, and then. Steven Taylor, who was in Phil's yes. solo band and Superjoint, was on here. That's right. That's right. That was a great episode. Yeah. So just like we said, go back, check it all out. If you, wherever you listen, like I said, follow, like, share, get on Patreon.com, look up Thunder Underground, send us a few bucks. You Why know, not? You know, what do we need to buy? Um Porn and pistachios. Good lord. Well, you know, that might not get us some patrons. Well, porn's free pretty much anymore. Yeah, I don't know what you're... So, pistachios, Pepsi, and... I don't know if you... you, you, you want to get that I, I don't know why you're on the peas. Um, I don't know. If you're looking for <laughs> porn with pistachios in them, maybe you got to pay for that shit. Because you're That's on some true. weird fucking trip I don't even want to know about. But hey. the Patreon is for, you know... It helps us, you know, with getting the podcast, the merch, uh, you know, traveling to wherever we're doing the podcasts. And, you know, if if you just want to help out because you're feeling, uh, you know, you're feeling froggy, then please jump. We would appreciate it. That's right. Anything helps. That is right. And speaking of Patreon, I know you're a patron of Metal Up Your Podcast. Yes. There's a good chance you might hear someone from Metal Up Your Podcast on here. Fairly soon, right? That would be fucking great. I can't wait. What kind of questions are you going to ask him? Questions about Megadeth? No. No, I'm not. Man, I don't even know. I mean, I, I mean I've got a few, so it's going to be good. It'll be good. So speaking of Metal Up Your Podcast, we've mentioned before, or recently when it happened, I was on Alpha Metallica, and you're on Alpha Metallica a yes. couple months ago. Yes. But we got a email from a guy who wanted to... Bring this up. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I was going to bring it up at the top. He, you know, he emailed because he had heard, I guess, the episode I did on Alpha Metallica. Mm-hmm. So he looked us up. And coincidentally, he's from Oklahoma as well. Really? Yeah. Even though he's from southeast of us, or southwest of us, sorry. Gotcha. He's from down, well, I'll get to that. But anyway, he just said that he discovered our show thanks to Tom Quee. And of course, in turn, thanks from the guys at Metal Podcast finding out about Tom Quee, you know, yeah. and thanks to his love for Metallica, and he had got restoked when he took his brother-in-law to his first show in Arlington last year, and you're not wrong, it's the best they've ever been. That's so right. looking forward to this Tulsa show, and would love to hit you guys up if you're doing pre- or post-show stuff. Peace out and horns up. So I mentioned to him that we had talked about, you know, doing the pre-show thing for Metallica, 
Yes. And that's something we'll mention, of course, as it gets closer. Yes, definitely. But I'd ask where he's from, and he'd say he's from Marlowe, Oklahoma, that's okay. south of Chickasha. Yeah. And he's coming up for that show. You know, and we email back and forth, and you brought up the fact that, you know, the Thunder Underground song from Osmosis. And I said, yep, that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah, thanks for Danny for checking us out. Yes. In turn, you know, thanks to Tom Quee. And, and, and what's his full name? Danny Derryberry. That's right, because I always hear him right in on Metal Up Your Podcast. Oh, you told me that, yeah. Yes, the so Danny. I knew that name right off the bat. Yeah. So, thank you, Danny, for writing in. And, uh, you know, what do you mean we've gotten other fan mail and we haven't read it on air? That's what we need to do on air, on the yeah. episode. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been a while, yeah. but for some reason we just never did that. And it's something you mentioned, well, not you mentioned, you know, like when you told me to start listening to Metal Free Podcast because yeah. you had wrote in and they read it. Yeah. You know, I, you know, you hear them do that all the time. So I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, people, write into us. What's the email address? Underground at gmail.com. Write it right into us. Tell us what you like. Tell us something that on an episode you, you heard. Tell us something you don't like. Make fun of us because we'll probably fucking make fun of you right back. <laughs> so, yeah, just, uh, you know, hit us up. Do you have a problem with Bang Tango or Bullet Boys? Because I like both of them. Well, see, I don't like Bang Tango, so. That was a weird one to pick, you, actually, because I'm you not can a rail fan. on them and I'll agree with them. You like beautiful creatures. I do. Well, I do, and that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> that's allowed. I know. This is a free goddamn country. Right? <laughs> I mean, not for long with the current administration or whatever. The last Anyways, two administrations. You, well, you got me. I'm telling you. Fucking sleazebees. What about them? Oh, man. I um, love sleazebees. I ain't joking either. Uh, what about Slick Toxic? I never did really get enough into them to know. Uh, um, Shotgun Rebellion. They were good. Spread Eagle. Dangerous Toys. I might just, we just got on a trip about like, I don't know what the fuck, the glam bands that like people don't know. I don't know why that's the route I went with it, but I just thought, well, that's the thing people would bitch about. Oh, you don't like metal because you like fucking bees and Nelson. My God. <laughs> anyway, I think we just kind of rambled off. Yeah, I think we're about end. done. Yeah. All right, I really so. get a piss, so. Okay. We can hit pause and you go piss and we can come back for another minute and a half. <laughs> I'm good. Okay. I'm good. All right. Well, once again, thank you to Brandon from Driver for doing this Stone Temple Pilots episode with us. And to get out there to see Driver at Thunder Underground Fest next week, October 19th and 20th. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground.